Today is the 24th of February, 2021, and in just two days we'll meet with Maga Puja. And uh, the Buddha, he had this great quality of wisdom to be able to defeat all of the um, ignorance within his heart to become the fully self-awakened Buddha. Buddha. And uh, the defilements that he defeated of uh, ignorance, of uh, craving and clinging, uh, these were completely done away with when he sat under the Bodhi tree on the 15th day of the sixth lunar month. And he was contemplating into dependent origination uh, that uh, these things uh, arise and dependent upon causes. And it's a very subtle and refined Dhamma. And uh, he saw this nature of ignorance, of craving and of clinging. And uh, his wisdom allowed for clear knowledge to arise. He saw that these defilements, they too have their causes and conditions for their arising. Uh, that from ignorance uh, flows craving and then clinging and then suffering comes up. And uh, the suffering also forms into a cause and condition as well. That the suffering causes uh, birth, which then causes becoming, and then there's clinging and then craving. And uh, so he contemplated this process as it happens back and forth. And uh, that night he was able to completely understand this and permanently cut off all the defilements. And no other being had been able to reach this level, no other recluse, even though their samadhi was very strong. They didn't have enough wisdom. But the Buddha, he attains to the stamma by himself through the wisdom that he had gained for himself. When he had gained this wisdom already, um, then one part of his work was complete. And he sat enjoying the bliss of liberation for 49 days. Then after that, he went to teach the five ascetics through the kindness and compassion that he had. So this wisdom is what allows him to cut off all the defilements. And then his heart became pure, this quality of purity arose. And he had a compassion that was pure and that he didn't want anything in return. He didn't wish for praise, for offerings, for homage. He didn't want any of that. All that he wished for was to help beings to free themselves from the cycle of birth and death. To help all beings to find their way out of suffering. To aid them in defeating their defilements. And uh, through this, many members of the awakened Sangha arose. So initially there was the five ascetics who attained to arahantship, and then there was Yasa along with his 40 
his 54 friends, or the 55 in total, and then including the five ascetics, that makes 60 uh, awakened beings. And they were the first group to go out and spread the uh, Buddha's dispensation. Then after the rains retreat, the Buddha went to teach the three Kasapa brothers. The oldest uh, had a following of 500, and then the two younger brothers had 300 and 200. And so that makes a total of 1,000 followers plus the three Kasapa brothers. And so on this day of Magapuja, all of these arahants that the Buddha had ordained himself, they came together without any prior notification. Um, but their minds, they knew about it. That they had these um, psychic powers, so they weren't, they didn't need uh, to be told through speech about this meeting. Uh, but their hearts all had the same thought. But it's also not the case that the Buddha sent this message uh, to the monks um, psychically, or he kind of gave these thoughts to the monks um, to tell them about it through their minds. But it was more that all of them just had this wish to go to meet the Buddha. And so there was no need to notify them. They got this feeling within their own hearts. And uh, this was the parami that they had developed already, um, that they all individually wished to listen to a teaching of the Buddha. They all wanted to hear the Avada Patimoka, and this teaching which just happens one time throughout each Buddha's dispensation, uh, that all Buddhas teach this one uh, discourse one time. And so the Buddha laid down this heart of his teachings, uh, this principle, this very central principle, um, that of abandoning all evil, of bringing skillfulness to completion and making the mind bright and pure. And these are the, um, this is the ideology of Buddhism and the principles of the practice. And there's also the principle, the quality of kanti, of patient endurance. <clears throat> and there's the highest ideal that we have, that of peace and coolness of heart, which is nibbana. We also don't harm any beings. We don't cause any damage. And, uh, but the very highest of these aspirations is that wish for inner peace, for inner coolness. And we see that all the chaos, all the agitation that arises in this present day and age is from the harm that we cause to one another. That we don't have this ideal of internal peace, of inner coolness. But rather many people think that the more we harm each other, the better. And alongside this, the amount of endurance that people have these days is a lot less than it was before. And why is that? It's because our lives are much easier than they were. There's a lot more pleasure in them. Before, if we wanted to travel somewhere, we had to walk. But now we just hop in a car. 
And if that car just goes 80 kilometers an hour, that's not enough to keep up to speed with our desires. Even 100 kilometers an hour isn't enough. We want to go faster than that. And because of that desire for speed, uh, there's a lot of accidents and many people die. And then, as well, um, many people drive under the influence of alcohol or drugs. So the amount of endurance that we have is steadily decreasing. But one of these central principles of the practice is that of kanti, of patient endurance. And so the Buddha also said for monks to be able to ordain, take full ordination, they have to be 20 years old first, uh, because at that age you should have enough endurance, enough forbearance uh, to be able to take it. And uh, so if someone is 10 years old or 15 years old, uh, they don't have enough of this quality of kanti. So the Buddha established this rule that they need to be at least 20, so they can endure with the weather conditions and with the general life of a monk. And I've also thought about um, monks who have come here from overseas, uh, come to Indain in Thailand, and that requires a lot of forbearance, um, a lot more than uh, those Thai people who ordain in their own in their homeland. Uh, because the places that these international monks are from, oftentimes they're cold countries, there aren't any mosquitoes there. And uh, coming here needs to adjust to many different things, adjust to the weather, to the food. So Lumpucha said that the foreign monks who ordained um, in the northeast dialect, uh, what it literally means is uh, to die and then to be given back, uh, which means to, to die and then to be born anew. And that's what it requires. It's really something that's not easy or um, takes a lot of forbearance. And it's the same with developing goodness. Um, that those who can do this, who are devoted to it, it takes a lot of forbearance. The people who come to make merit in the mornings, you know, oftentimes they have to wake up early, at, uh, 5 a.m. or before then, to start cooking the rice. And then they have to travel to the monastery to offer that food to the monks on arms round. And uh, it takes a lot of forbearance to be able to cultivate our paramis. Some people have been doing this for 10 or more years. And also for monks, um, we need to, or to forbear as well, to endure. Uh, we may want to sleep in uh, in the morning, but we have this inner devotion to to maintaining the standards of practice, to maintaining the schedule, so we wake up in the morning. And when we can do this, then we feel a sense of honor within ourselves, honor in the lives that we're living as monks, that they are upright, that they're in line with the teachings of the Buddha. And this is what gives us energy in our lives, energy in our hearts. And uh, that we're able to live this life, it comes from the barami of the Buddha, from the barami of the Dhamma, from the barami of the Sangha. Um, that the Sangha, this um, lineage of 
awakened beings, they are able to maintain the Buddha's traditions and teachings to be able to uh, bring the Buddhasasana down to this present age. And also we depend upon the kindness and compassion of the laity, um, that they have this desire to create merit, to do skillful deeds. And, uh, and so many you know, come to the monastery in the morning, they wake up early, they do their morning chanting. And uh, it's the same for the monks, we have to wake up early and chant as well. And then we go off on arms rounds to sustain our lives. And this is the pride of a monk. And when we keep up these standards of practice, um, then we feel really at ease internally. Uh, we feel contented, satisfied with our lives. And sometimes it may be very cold in the morning, but we endure with that, even though we are walking barefoot. Sometimes we may be quite exhausted. Maybe we haven't slept, we've spent the whole night practicing. And then going out an arms round can be very difficult, but we endure with that. Maybe we're walking along the road and the sun's shining on us and we feel like just lying down in the middle of the road and um, laying there halfway through the arms round, but we still endure with it. In some places there isn't anything to have in the afternoons or evening as well. There's no none of these uh, evening drinks. And when I went to uh, Nongao Monastery or the, the channel ground there, um, there wasn't anything in the evening. There was no sugar. There was uh, nothing. And it took a really long time for some kind of sugar to arrive. And so I asked uh, one of the novices if he could get some medicinal leaves and boil these up. And so uh, he turned them into a tea. And uh, there was one time that I was on Tudong, I was uh, wandering, and I felt really exhausted. And there was no sugar at all, not even a spoonful of sugar. And um, I arrived at a monastery, and they said they have some evening drinks. And then it turned out to be Borapet, which is an extremely bitter vine that they boil up to make this, this very, very bitter drink. And so this monastery was really keeping the standards of practice of what Nambapong. I'd uh, walked from, I was walking from Ubon province to Sisaget. And in order to go practice in the channel ground, and I really had to depend upon this quality of endurance. And uh, when we're able to endure, then that brings up energy within the hearts. And, uh, we often practice in ways that challenge ourselves, challenge our own practice. And uh, through this, then we feel like we, we wake up, uh, we bring up some energy, and we really see the, the harm and the danger in the cycle of samsara. So in the morning, we get up early, we go to the chanting, we don't take advantage of the others in our community. We help out to open up the eating hall in the morning, turn on the lights. We don't take advantage of each other. And uh, if we do this, then we get a lot of goodness in return from it. And uh, we think to ourselves that in this life, 
that one of us will have to die, either myself or the defilements. We make sure that the defilements die before we do. And uh, the stamma, it exists on the shores of death. So for us, we have Nibbāna as a highest ideal. And uh, as monks, we have this firm determination, this real um, focus, goal, to see Nibbāna. And uh, so we keep up the standards of practice. Um, When we have this goal, then we listen to what the great teachers uh, have laid down, what standards of practice um, they lay down, and then we follow those. We go to the morning evening chanting, we help out with all the different kinds of work. We do walking and sitting meditation. And when we do this, then we feel an in, a sense of inner satisfaction. And we help out uh, with the things around the monastery. We feel very at ease internally when we do this. But it's really important while we're working to maintain our mindfulness as well, to always be training in samadhi. And uh, if we can do all of this, If we can practice in this way, it shows that we have energy, that we have one kind of energy, that we're not fed up, we're not bored with the chanting, uh, with sitting meditation, walking meditation. And that shows that our hearts have energy. It shows that we're a manusa deva, and that our bodies are in the state of a human, but our hearts are devas, Uh, they are celestial beings already. And whatever emotions arise, we endure with those. We bring up this quality of kanti, of forbearance. We also have a lot of restraint and carefulness, uh, restrained and careful around our actions of body and speech. And then we really focus on this path of practice, on cultivating our hearts, on investigating, reflecting constantly into the nature of inconstancy, how things are not sure, seeing everything as being inconstant. We can ask ourselves, well, what is mine? What do I really own? And we look at this body, which we attach to as a self. But if it's really me or mine, then why does it have all these kinds of illnesses arise when I don't want for any of them to arise? This is something that we really should think about. We don't want to get old to get sick, to die, and yet we all get these things. Just like uh, the Brahmin, uh, Diga Naka, he went um, to listen to the teaching of a Buddha and he contemplated it, of our Buddha, and he contemplated it, and then he saw into the Dhamma. And he was climbing up Vulture's Peak in order to find a place where no one had died before. He wanted somewhere, somewhere that was pure, And uh, this shows that he was quite close to death. So he went to find a pure place to die, so that he could die happily. But the Buddha told him that you yourself have died here many, many times. And this brought up a deep sense of disillusionment within the Brahmin's heart. So this also shows that he believed in what the Buddha was telling him. This Brahman, he had this view, or this way of living, that whatever he liked, he would do. And the things he didn't like, he wouldn't do. He just wanted to get what he wanted. But the Buddha asked him, will old age, sickness, and death 
do you like these things? And the Brahmin replied, no. And then he asked, well, these things that you don't like, will you get them? And he said, yes. And then the Buddha asked, well, when you receive these things, if you don't like them, are you going to experience happiness or suffering? And then he replied that he would suffer because he doesn't like them. And so this Brahman shows that he, does, he didn't have wisdom. And he saw that he didn't want to suffer. But if he attached to these things, then he would suffer. So instead he accepted the truth of them and he was able to see into the Dhamma. And this was due to the compassion that the Buddha had in teaching him. And uh, this Brahman was a relative of Venerable Sariputta, who was sitting by the Buddha, listening to this Dhamma as well. And as he was listening, he attained to Arahantship. So this shows us that listening to the Dhamma is of great importance. Uh, but what if our minds are very coarse? And uh, even though we may meet with the greatest teachers of this present era, we may ask them many questions, and they may answer us, uh, but we may not benefit much from that. Like myself, um, I was quite stupid when I went to stay with Lumpucha. And um, Lumpucha, he taught uh, this path of practice that the Buddha laid down. Uh, but it was quite difficult to follow that, or to really understand his teachings clearly. And so in order to really put that path of practice uh, into effect, we need wisdom as well. And so the Venerable Sariputta, he had this wisdom, and that's what allowed him to attain to arahantship. And so do we see um, that we need uh, to contemplate, we need to study. So this day of uh, Magha Puja, it's a very important day. And uh, many people come to pay homage and respect on this day. And there are many different ways of paying homage. There's that through our generosity, through the offerings that we give, through listening to the Dhamma, through chanting, through offering flowers. These are all forms of homage. And chanting and practicing meditation it's a very high form of homage, training to bring our minds to internal peace. And sitting in meditation throughout the night, and this too we take to be our offering to the Buddha. So for the monks, um, we really are sincere in paying homage to the Buddha. And, uh, and this gives us a lot of goodness especially so on an important day like Magha Puja. This brings us close to Nibbāna. So the seeing of Dhamma, in doing that what we're actually seeing is nature, that things are this way, that everything is inconstant, is unsatisfactory, is not self. But the reason that we don't see is because we lack peace. So therefore training in samādhi is really important. It's a great form of goodness. And so those people who are generous and create that form of goodness, um, there are many. 
But those who are interested in practice or interested in keeping virtue and keeping precepts, uh, they're very few. For us, we do need to train in these things, in all of these things, and uh, giving rise to these qualities of virtue, of samadhi, of wisdom, of contemplating and bringing the minds to be settled within the body, within feelings, within the mind, and within dhamma. And uh, until we see these things clearly, until we understand the dhamma, and uh, when we gain clear knowledge, that's when we attain to the Dhamma. So we really set our hearts on this training, that we have this very firm and focused ideal, that of Nibbana. And Nampocha said that if we train in the right way, then we have to get there. And all of us can get to Nibbana. It's not too difficult for us to be able to do. It's within our abilities. And uh, we have this path of practice already. We have these great teachers who have, gave, who have given us these teachings already. So it's something that we can reach. Nibbana, we can get there. So, and also for the lay people as well, you can all reach there within this life for sure. So may you all set your hearts on this.